0: Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 14. As you're turning there, I want to ask you when was the last time you felt overwhelmed with pain? Pain is a part of this world that we experience physically, emotionally, and it's inevitable. That in a post-Genesis 3 world in which we live in, that at some point or another, we're going to encounter pain. And at some point, we're going to be brought to a vulnerable place and overwhelmed by the pain that we feel. And one of the beautiful things about our God is that he is not one who avoided pain but stepped into our world of pain and experienced himself with us and for us. And so what we see in Mark chapter 14, we see Jesus experiencing a level of pain that no one in human history have ever experienced to the depth that he did as he was going to the cross. And he leaves us an example of how to handle the pain that you and I experience in this world prayerfully. I've titled this sermon, Prayerfully Facing Pain. You see, there's some common responses, human responses to pain when we encounter it. One of those common responses is to flee, To run, to medicate, to do whatever we have to do to get away from the painful person. The person that we perceive to be the source of the pain or the painful circumstances. And people cut relationships, leave jobs, leave churches, leave communities in order to avoid pain. But one of the problems of pain is 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 in this world that we live in that no matter where you go You're going to continue to encounter it So you and I would do well if we would face it prayerfully as our lord did And so there's also a human tendency not only to run away from it and medicate it and try to escape it at any cost including compromise of our morals There's also a human tendency to attack the person that we perceive to be causing the pain or attack the circumstances and be aggressive to change those circumstances or change those people that are hurting us. And hurt people have a tendency to just hurt people, right? And our Lord Jesus, what we see in his example in Mark chapter 14, that he did neither of these He didn't run to escape the pain that the father had allotted to him to bear for you and I. He wrestled. He wrestled through it and he didn't attack and take out the pain and the pressure. He didn't let the pressure of his circumstances lead him to do something hurtful to those around him. He embraced it. He faced it. And he did it prayerfully. So let's look at it in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And he came and he found them sleeping and their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said, are you still sleeping, taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's our big idea Jesus prayerfully bore the painful weight of our sin in obedience to the father displaying his love for and commitment to us. Jesus prayerfully bore the painful weight of our sin in obedience to the father displaying his love for and commitment to us. Now let's. First of all, look at this place that Jesus was praying, Gethsemane. Now, Jesus often would go to this place, and and he would often get alone throughout his life. He lived a life of prayer, and in a handful of places in the Gospel of Mark, he mentions Jesus getting away to go pray. This is just the habit of his life, his daily habit of seeking the Father, of aligning himself with the Father's agenda every day. He would seek the Father's agenda and that he would he would lead others to prioritize the Father's agenda in their lives as well. And at this point, Jesus' darkest hours were coming upon him and he knew it. He had told his disciples, he had predicted to his disciples a number of times already that he would suffer and that he would die and that he would rise again. And he also, as we talked about last week, he predicted that his disciples would all leave him. He predicted that Peter would deny him. He predicted that Judas would betray him. He predicted that the Jews and the Romans would crucify him. He knew that. It was coming. He knew that he came into the world for this very hour. And he wasn't caught off guard. And he wasn't caught by surprise. And he went to a place called Gethsemane. I took a couple pictures off of um, Holman Bible Dictionary of that place currently. Um, Erdman's Dictionary says that the name Gethsemane is from the Aramaic. Which means oil press oil press both olive trees and presses for exacting the oil from the olives were common in the area and it was probable that at gethsemane contained um, that gethsemane contained such a press now this is interesting to note because in this garden this is where jesus was pressed his Soul was exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. He was troubled and in distress. He was feeling overwhelmed by the pain that he was bearing as he was approaching the cross in the dark hours. And so let's look at a couple of points here that uh, from this text that I'd like to highlight. The first one, is that Jesus invited his disciples to be present and prayerful with him in his pain? He invited them to be present and prayerful with him in his pain. Now they had seen Jesus throughout his ministry for three years, always just just kind of uh in control and no and, and in tune with what's going on. And he, he was never at a point where it was like, uh Jesus doesn't know what to do here. But here's a vulnerable point, probably one of the most vulnerable points that they saw Jesus at in the the garden, most difficult point in his life. And in that moment, he invites them to come and be a part. Now, he tells the other disciples to sit, sit and watch, be alert. Remember, they had just celebrated the Passover dinner. He told Judas to go do what he was going to do. The plan to betray Jesus was already set in motion. He was uh the, the 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 Romans were gonna come and arrest him very soon. He knew that was approaching. And he took Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. And in verse 38, he says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I think Jesus here sets a healthy model for us, a healthy example for us to imitate. And, and one sub-point that I like to highlight is that it's healthy to face pain with Community. It's healthy to face pain with community. Jesus lived his life in community and he calls all of his followers to live their lives immersed in and connected to intimately within community. Human beings need that. Paul Tripp in his book on suffering says, don't suffer in heroic isolation. The brothers and sisters around you have been placed in your life as instruments of grace. They won't be perfect instruments. They won't always say and do the right things. But in the messiness of these relationships, God delivers to us what only he can. You see, there is a comfort that comes from the presence of other brothers and sisters who love you and who are for you. And we all need Them around, and in our darkest moments and most difficult times, and in our pain and in our suffering, we need those most intimate brothers and sisters around us whose presence will comfort us, whose love will comfort us, whose encouragement will comfort us, whose prayers will help us. Now, obviously, Jesus' closest guys had their limits had their weaknesses and had their struggles and they certainly weren't perfect and they certainly weren't living out. Peter wasn't living out what he declared that he would live out for Jesus. I'll die for you. If everyone else denies you, everyone else leaves you, I'm I'm in all the way. And he falls asleep. He falls asleep in Jesus's most vulnerable moments. In Jesus' distress and in Jesus' pain in his struggle. Notice that Jesus also communicated this pain to his disciples, his three closest. He didn't tell everybody, okay? We don't need to tell everybody everything. But we need a couple of really close friends that we can get really real and honest and share the depth of our struggle with. And be known by them and have them present with us in our pain and in our struggle and in our circumstances. Okay? This is a, a basic need of humanity. William Lane, in his commentary, says, True friendship, as we experience it, the sharing of inmost thoughts, the exchange of feelings, hopes, sorrows, joys, was a reality that Jesus seems not to have uh Uh, that jesus seemed not to have enjoyed with any continuity with the 12 i may have uh, made a mistake in that i may have did a typo there um jesus expressed to them that his soul was sorrowful okay he let them know that he was struggling Okay, but notice Jesus didn't just stay there. Of course, his main focus was to bring this burden to the father in prayer, because humans and human relationships and the best of friends, the strongest of followers of Jesus that, you know, at some point are going to let you down. Because they're not made, they're not designed to ultimately satisfy you, sustain you, and give you the strength that only God alone can give to you. That you and I experience through prayer. And so what we see Jesus putting the priority on is prayer. We see him facing his pain prayerfully. He didn't run from it. He faced the oil press. He faced the squishing, the squeezing. And by the way, it's when we experience the squishing and the squeezing that we really see what's inside of us. We see our truest thoughts and our truest beliefs and our truest emotions that come out in those moments and we let them out. Because it just they just come out. You're squished to the point where you just get real like back off, leave me alone. And you start getting honest in relationships. And so it's, it's good and helpful for us, by the way, to win, not have run from it, but to use those as opportunities for growth. Use those as opportunities for sanctification, for, for cleansing, for closer relationship, to deal with those issues and relationships that hinder Okay, but, but Jesus is putting his focus on the Father. He's looking to the Father. He He lived a lifestyle of prayer and he called others to do the same. He called others to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now here's his test. Here's his opportunity to walk that out himself. He prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but yours be done. The author of Hebrews alluding to this describes Jesus praying fervently and reverently. It says in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard Because of his reverence, although he was a son, he learned obedience by what he suffered. You see, Jesus took on humanity and he stepped into our pain. He identified with our suffering. He experienced pain for you and me and he did it prayerfully. And he experienced that pain so that he can ultimately remove pain from us eternally. So that we can be healed and whole and live in a world free of pain in the age to come when the kingdom comes in its fullness. Revelation 21 4 tells us that there will be no more pain, no more crying. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. But we live in what the theologians call the already not yet. We live in this tension where where it hasn't fully come yet. That day hasn't come yet, and so we're waiting for that day. And so it's appropriate for us to feel pain. It's appropriate appropriate for us to cry out with groans, with pain, with tears. Luke, being the doctor, highlights that Jesus. That the agony and the pain and the pressure on his soul was so intense that he sweat blood drops. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. It wasn't just the physical pain that he was going to experience on the cross. But this emotional and spiritual and mental darkness and heaviness that was coming upon him. That he was bearing for you and me. So that we don't have to bear that weight for all eternity. Jesus in our place. And so notice that Jesus prayed an intimate and intense prayer. He prayed to the Father. And he says, Abba, Father. Which which is like our term, Daddy. Daddy. He's coming to his Daddy. And he taught his followers to pray, Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And here's Jesus modeling that. Simple, God-centered prayers focused on who the Father is. And notice his focus, his statement, all things are possible for you. You're great, you're able, you're strong, you're mighty. You can do something about this. Remove this cup from me. We pray to God because God can change our circumstances. He has the ability to do anything. With him, all things are possible. And so we pray to our God who is able, our God, our Father who is able, and we pray to our God who is willing. He's able and he's willing. He cares. He cares about our pain and he will remove it one day. But we don't always experience immediately That removing of the pain, of the struggle. Often God wills to bring us through it. And let pain have its refining work in our lives. That something much more beautiful and glorious might come about through it. Notice that Jesus was resolved in prayer to do the Father's will. His request was remove this cup this cup of suffering, this cup of divine judgment and wrath that he's getting a glimpse into that he's about to drink from upon the cross. And it's overwhelming. The weight of what he's about to bear and take upon himself is overwhelming. I don't know what what level of mental and emotional pressure you have felt in your life, but I know there's been times for me as a Christian that this heavy darkness is just over, overwhelming my, me, myself. And that's so small compared to what Jesus has went through. Jesus went through a level of pain and pressure and stress and trouble that is far beyond any other human being who suffered. But yet he stepped into and he experienced it to sympathize with us, To give us the strength that we need to go through our lot of suffering in this life. And to one day ultimately remove that pain from our lives in the age to come. And so Jesus in his prayer he was resolved to do the father's will. He was more resolved to do the father's will than he was to to get momentary relief from the cup that he was about to drink. He submitted to the Father's will. And this should be how our prayers look. This, this is a model for how, how our prayers ought to be made. Yeah, let God know your requests. Let God know your struggle. Come to him as a good father. Come to him as a strong and mighty God who can do all things. Let your requests be made known. But focus in on His his will. Wrestle to discover what his will is and wrestle to surrender and resolve to do his will, whatever it may be, even if it involves lots of pain. And remember that Jesus did that on our behalf. J.C. Ryle says this the best prescription, or um, I've titled this, this quote, The Best Prescription for Facing Pain. He said, We never find a better prescription than this for bearing affliction patiently the first person to whom we should turn in our trouble is god the first complaint we should make should be in the form of prayer the reply may not be given immediately the relief we want may not be granted at once but the act of merely pouring out our hearts and unbosoming ourselves at the throne of grace Will do us good. I like that phrase. There's a new vocabulary word for you. Unbosoming. <laughs> unbosoming. Pouring out your hearts and unbosoming. You know. There's really something special about. When when you're carrying a burden. And a weight. That's too much for you to carry. There's really something special about. Wrestling with God in prayer. Praying long enough. Until that burden is rolled over. And you're trusting it to God and you're no longer letting it paralyze you and cripple you. Like too often we continue to live our lives dysfunctionally because we don't spend long enough rolling it off to God in prayer. Or maybe maybe we've tried that and we've done that. But maybe we haven't brought in community to pray with us and help carry the load and roll it off to God in prayer together. Maybe there's some sin connected. To the pain and the suffering that we have and there there needs to be some confession But that's not always the case Maybe you're just going through a really hard time and god is doing something through it Remember that it's for the child of god. It's always purposeful pain and suffering It's never meaningless And it's never going to be wasted because God is going to work it all together for your good and my good. And every painful circumstance that the father brings us through in this life has been filtered through the almighty loving father. And he's allowed it to come our way and he's allowed us to go through it. And he has purpose in it. Now let's talk a little bit about this cup. Jesus says, uh, remove this cup from me. There's a number of Old Testament passages that allude to this idea of God's, the cup. And it's, as theologians point out, it's, in in the Old Testament highlights, it's the the cup of God's wrath, his divine judgment upon sin. Isaiah uh, 51, 17 says, wake yourselves, wake yourselves, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl the cup of staggering. Okay, it's the, it's the cup of God's wrath. You see, God is a righteous and a holy, just God, and he rightfully is angry towards sin and sinful people who hurt others. Now, I know in a modern age, At modern day, this is not a popular idea and nobody likes the biblical category of the wrath of God or the judgment of God. Tim Keller does an excellent job in his book, Jesus the King, arguing that anybody who loves is going to have an anger towards that person that they love um, if they're hurting themselves or if somebody else is hurting them. You see love and anger are connected. I mean, just think about it, parents. If somebody hurts your child, is it moral? Is it morally right for you to get angry, that somebody would hurt your child and do some injustice to your child i, I would I would question if we didn't get upset, I would question if we if we really love our children in a healthy way. God rightfully in the purest sense has wrath and anger towards sin and he and he tells us that he must punish it There must be he doesn't any good judge doesn't just sweep an offense under the rug And say I know you had a really hard life growing up as, as a kid But all those people that the lives that you took we're just going to let you go On this one and give you one more chance Most of us would say that that's not a very just and good judge Right there needs to be some action right and god is a good and a loving god and a just god And because of that, he's rightfully angry towards sin and those who hurt themselves and others in sinful ways. And he wants to address that problem. He wants to address the root of the pain and the sin that's, that's causing destruction. And so Jesus comes and he deals with it. He faces it. He bears the weight of our sin and our sorrow. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, in the garden of Gethsemane, he turns to the father and all he can see before him is wrath, the abyss, the chasm, the nothingness of the cup. God is the source of all love, all life, all light, all coherence. Therefore, exclusion from God is exclusion from the source of all light, all love, all coherence. Jesus began to experience the spiritual, cosmic, infinite disintegration that would happen when he became separated from his father on the cross. Jesus began to experience merely a foretaste of that. And he staggered. He felt deeply troubled, distressed, sorrowful, even to the point of death. So, so much pressure upon his soul that it, it possibly could have even killed him. He tells his disciples to watch and pray. Watch and pray. And why does he tell them to do that? It's not merely for his sake. Like, that would be nice if they, and you know, they they, they did say that they would die for him they you know they did say they they, they committed to following him yeah and in the rest of the disciples and behind peter's leadership yeah we're we're going to be faithful we we're, we're going we're going all the way well in their weakness they fell asleep they were indifferent insensitive if you will in jesus's most vulnerable time And notice that Jesus recognizes his disciples' willingness and his weakness. He recognizes that they're limited. There's only so much comfort that they can bring in. There's only uh, being human beings. They have their struggles. Jesus knew that his disciples would fall away. He quoted the Old Testament saying, strike the the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He said, this is going to happen. He said that earlier. And so he was expecting it. But he was teaching them a lesson about alertness and prayerfulness. And facing difficult times. Lessons that they would need in the future. Lessons that they would fail massively right here in this moment. But later that they would find strength and resolve to to carry out in other times, important times. When he came back, so verse 37, he came and found them sleeping. And he said to peter simon why are you asleep now notice he addressed peter he didn't address the rest of the 11 and he didn't even address james and john but he says to peter now peter was the most vocal of them all he's the one who has that that self-confidence i'm going for you i'm gonna die for you jesus and so peter addresses him he he addressed okay like you said you're gonna do that simon why are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice why Jesus tells them to watch and pray. It's for, for their own sake. For, to, to be alert, to be ready, to, to be able to stand against the temptation that was going to come. And yet, although Jesus knew what would happen and predicted their failure, and is sovereign over that, he still called them to pray. Never let your view of God's sovereignty lead you to a place of passivity when it comes to prayer. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God knows all. But God works through the means of prayer to bring about his will and his kingdom on this earth. And he does change things. And he does change circumstances. And God does really big things when we pray. And so often, he not only changes circumstances, he changes us. He changes our hearts about what we think ought to happen. And we, we learn what he really does want for us. And we align ourselves with it and we wrestle with God and prayer about it until we come to this place of resolve like Jesus. Not my will, but yours be done. And we roll the burden off and, and we embrace the lot that God has for us. We embrace the difficulty and the pain that is before us as well. Remembering Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Who for joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. He persevered. He overcame and now he's able to aid and help those of us who are being tempted those of us who tend to fall asleep when we should be praying those of us who tend to give in to the temptation of sin when we should be resisting and saying no and saying yes to his will and no to our sinful nature there's a time to rest god gives his beloved sleep there's a time to just shut your eyes and quit trying to make stuff happen and just trust God and go to sleep and enjoy the gift of a good night's sleep. But there are times when the spiritual battle is heightened and it's a time to stay awake and to deny yourself some sleep to press in, to engage, to fight because you're in a spiritual battle, you're in a war. You're not in you Christians aren't brought into a playground in the Christian life, they're brought into a battleground. And we got to have a wartime mentality. Using prayer not as an intercom to deliver more brownies to us so we can watch the game, but as a walkie-talkie to call in reinforcements in the battle. As John Piper says in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. On missions so jesus recognized his the disciples willingness and their weakness okay there's there's grace here he knew their weakness he knew that they were willing that they they wanted like like they said we'll die for you we want to go all the way for you jesus knew that peter was sincere in what saying what he said but he was sincerely wrong He contradicted Jesus. He disagreed with Jesus that he was going to deny Jesus. He was sincerely wrong. He and he he wasn't in touch with his own weaknesses and frailty. And he needed a revelation of God's grace, sustaining grace, strengthening grace. He needed to be stripped of his arrogant self-confidence and become dependent upon God in prayer and be watchful and alert in prayer and don't we all i don't want to seem like i'm just picking on on him because i i do the same thing i have some of the same tendencies and if you're honest you do too and you know what jesus knows that he's not surprised by your failure you might be surprised and how big you sin against him and others You might be surprised and be like, wow, I didn't think I could do that as a Christian. But he's not. He knows your weakness. He knows your struggle. He knows your frailty. He sees sincerity when it's there. He sees willingness when it's there. But he also sees weakness. He says the spirit indeed is willing. At the core of the disciples being, they wanted to be faithful to Jesus and stand firm even to the point of death. But they're human beings. They're frail. They fell asleep. Now, remember, they had, they had prepared for the Passover dinner, as we looked at last week. They, they had a lot of preparations involved in this Passover dinner. They've been traveling with Jesus, doing lots of ministry. These guys were worn out, no doubt. Right? They were worn out. And, and let me just say this, too. Something that I've observed in my Christian walk, that those times when I'm most tired... When I'm most tired and most worn out doing good things for the lord with the lord Are the times that I can become most vulnerable to temptation When i've when i haven't gotten proper sleep and, and 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 you know what i'm talking about you guys can i'm sure you can think of your own experiences You become a little more cranky a little more irritable a little more short with your spouse a little short with your kids Attitudes start coming out. And, and, and you become more vulnerable to look at things. Men that you shouldn't look at. Or to say things that you shouldn't say in unkind, harsh ways. We may be surprised by that weakness, but Jesus is not. And he gives us the prescription of how to face the pain and how to how to, to, to guard against being overcome with temptation. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. One theologian, Hans F. Bayer, says that well-intended believers can easily fail to fulfill their calling by merely giving in to various physical needs or desires. Okay? Disciples needed some sleep. They, they, they yielded to that. But in that moment, the greater necessity was for them to stay alert and press through for the sake of standing against temptation that was to come. William Lane says spiritual wakefulness and prayer in full dependence upon divine help provide the only adequate preparation for crisis. You see, we we should run to God first when we're facing crisis, when we're facing pain, when we're facing trouble. Too often we run everywhere else. We run everywhere else and then use prayer as the last resort because no one else and nothing else made the difference that we were looking for. The medication, the doctors, the friends, the money, the change of circumstances, the change of atmosphere, nothing changed. And then we find ourselves in a place where we all we can do is pray. And that should be our first priority, church, Right? We're committed to that. May we walk in that. John MacArthur says that the disciples needed to learn that spiritual victory goes to those who are alert in prayer and depend upon God. And that self-confidence and spiritual unpreparedness lead to spiritual disaster. He was teaching the disciples a lesson that they needed to learn as leaders within the church. I love the hymn that we sang earlier. I hear the Savior say. Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Or how about what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He gives help to the weak, strength to the weak. I love Romans 8, 26 that says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. When we fail to pray as we ought, we have an intercessor, the Holy Spirit, interceding for us, who helps us in our weaknesses. When we fail to pray as we ought, we have Jesus as our great intercessor, who ever lives to make intercession for us. He's able to save to the uttermost because he ever lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews 7.25 says. That when our prayers don't seem to be consistent enough, strong enough, fervent enough, aligned with God's will enough. God's grace and strength is holding on to us when we don't seem to have the grip, the strength to grip, to hold on ourselves. And he will strengthen us. He will sustain us. He will give us what we need. Because he stepped into this world. He entered into our pain. He knows our struggles. John Stott, the theologian, said that I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? I turned to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He set aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. And he can sympathize with you in your pain. He can aid you and help you in your pain. And so let me close in just a couple points of application. Know that Jesus stepped into your pain and sympathizes with your weaknesses. Know that he entered in, that you're not walking through this alone. So don't try to... Walk through pain and suffering in heroic isolation. I got this. I don't need anybody. You do. You need God and you need the community of faith to walk with you through it. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul when he pleaded with the Lord three times. He had a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to, to keep him humble from being conceited and exalted with from all the revelation that he had. And he pleaded with the Lord three times. Lord, take this thorn from me. And the Lord answered him. But he didn't answer him by removing the thorn and the pain in his circumstances. The Lord answered him by saying, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, God wants to give us what we need to walk through the painful circumstances, to walk through the suffering, to walk through the darkness, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that he is with us, that his rod and staff comforts us, that he's going to lead us in passive righteousness. He's going to restore our soul. His goodness and mercy is going to chase us down. Because he's our shepherd. He was struck for us. You see, back in the garden, Adam said, No, my will be done, in essence, with his disobedience, and brought sin and suffering and death into this world that we live in. But in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done in obedience to the Father. To reverse the curse. To remove the pain eternally for you and I in the age to come. To heal our broken souls and make us whole and free and fully alive. He calls it abundant life. And so know that Jesus stepped into your pain experienced it for you to remove it ultimately in the age to come and to strengthen you through it while you're here and to sympathize with you as you walk through it hebrews four fifteen says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses he's not indifferent and unable to feel and sympathize and empathize with you, or I. But one in who, one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. I praise God for all the other brothers and sisters God has given us to sympathize and empathize with us, and walk with us, and mourn with us, mourn with those who mourn. Praise God for that. But all those brothers and sisters who do that, they haven't done. They haven't been tempted without sin. There's only one. Who was brought to that p- place of temptation, struggle, pain, and suffering, and didn't sin. And there's only one who can be the ultimate substitute for your sin and my sin in our place and bear the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the justice of God, and fully satisfy it so that we don't get eternal pain and torment in hell. We get eternal life and joy. Everlasting pleasures forevermore. Confidently bring your burdens to God in prayer. Jesus did this. He called his disciples to do this. He calls you and I to do this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy. And find grace. To help us. In time of need. James says if anyone's. troubled or suffering let them pray let them pray we should do that anyways right we should do that every day anyways pray without ceasing that should mark our lives as christians the spirit-filled life the life immersed doing the will of god is a prayerful life the joyful life the christian life is a prayerful life and yet we all tend to slack and fall asleep and get lazy when it comes to prayer and talk to God as we ought to and pour out our hearts as we ought to and delight in God as we ought to. And so God will use pain as like a megaphone, as C.S. Lewis says. Say, come back to me. So let it bring you back to him. Let it bring the sanctification and the refining that needs to be brought in your life through it. Let it bring humility where where you're a little more gentle and tender and humble towards others <laughs> because you've been knocked around a bit and Jesus has been gracious with you and lastly invite community invite the community of the saints to help bear your burdens you don't have to bear it alone an attempt to be heroic in isolation i got this go to god in prayer Reach out to those around you if you've been going to god in prayer and just nothing seems to be changing within you and your circumstances, you're not getting the grace and the mercy that you need will call in the reinforcements of the community of the saints To come and join you in prayer. James says therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another That you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working so open up, get real about your pain, but also your sin. Be honest. If you're going to really face it and you're going to experience deliverance, you're going to experience healing, you're going to experience freedom, you've got to get honest with yourself and honest with God. Of course, as, as Michael said in the communion message, confess your sins to God for forgiveness and cleansing. But if you've gotten that forgiveness and you've got that cleansing, but you haven't gotten the freedom and deliverance from that same old sin that you keep struggling with, well, confess it to another brother and sister. Find somebody that you trust, a, a Peter, James, or John, if you will. Of course, Jesus had no sin to confess to them, but he invited them in to be present and to be prayerful in his time of vulnerability. And then uh, Galatians 6, two, it says, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. Like, we're called to this, saints. We're called to to do what Jesus did in in entering into the world of pain that our brothers and sisters are walking through and help kind of shoulder the load a little bit when it's just too much for them to do alone. We don't have to suffer alone. So if you get COVID and you're sick and at home, tell somebody, send a text, reach out for prayer. If you're feeling depressed and discouraged and overwhelmed and you're having panic attacks, tell somebody. Reach out in prayer. If you're overwhelmed by your financial situation, you don't know how you're going to get through, tell somebody. Ask for prayer. Ask for help. Don't deny the body of Christ the joy of being able to give and to serve and encourage and comfort and come alongside you as you're going through your darkest moments don't you want to do that for one another saints i love that as a as a church here we we do that we're walking that out and yeah we got room to grow but we value loving community kevin would you come up lastly I didn't put this on here, but it goes with the song, and I wanted to read the second verse of it because it's not in this that we're about to sing. Lastly, stand amazed at God's love for and commitment to you. Stand amazed at Jesus' love for you and his commitment to you. As this song that we're about to sing says, I stand amazed. Verse 2 says, for me, it was in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. Verse 3, in pity angels beheld him. He came from the world of light to comfort him. Uh, in pity, angels beheld him and came from the world of light to comfort him in his sorrows. He bore for my soul that night. Luke mentions that when Jesus prayed this, that he was strengthened by an angel. After he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 4, he, he took my sins and my sorrows and he made them his very own he bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. You know, kind of like during this coronavirus, there's that social distancing. So many have died in hospital rooms being isolated from their loved ones. The community that Jesus had, the comfort of his disciples only went so far. They couldn't go all the way with him, Jesus had to bear the weight of the sin of the world, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, the, the cup of God's wrath and judgment. He had to bear it ultimately alone on a rugged cross. and he went all the way. No doubt he had pain from the betrayal of Judas or the denial of Peter. Or the mocking of the Romans. And the false accusations of the Jews. No doubt he experienced pain from the father turning his face away. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perhaps that's the greatest sting of it all. That he went there for you and me. And so let us stand amazed and let us sing and respond and let us surrender to our God who is loving and faithful who is good and great Let's sing if y'all want to stand you